Welcome to the football pod. My name is Konstantin Eckner and please welcome my co-host Abel Mezarosh. Hi Konstantin, hi everyone. Uh, today we want to talk about a topic that uh, has been more and more um, a, a conversation in, in football and something that we're finally having which is about mental health. Last week was Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, so we wanted to talk about this issue because it's something that you know players and coaches are feeling that uh, they are opening up about. And, and we want to make sure that uh, we get somebody who um, is, is not an expert, but, but he's somebody who, who writes about this. And this is uh, Tom Hamilton, senior writer at ESPN. All right, Tom, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thanks, chaps. Thanks for having me. So we've invited you because, especially because of your coverage of mental health in football. Um, I mean, you have been working on several subjects for ESPN over the years, but that's one I was most intrigued about um, because I don't, I don't know that many journalists that are covering mental health in, in football and sports in general. Um, and we have to make uh, clear, you are not an expert. You are not a trained psychologist or, or anything. You're a journalist who is researching on the subject. But I think you're doing a very, very great job at doing it so. And um, that's also why we, we have invited you. Um, and I wanted to ask you first, maybe, uh, when did you start uh, working on that particular subject? I think it was probably as a result of um, sort of personal circumstance. It's um, mental health is something that's runs through my family and it affects me. So when you're given a platform like ESPN, which is incredible at storytelling, um, and has an amazing audience that it was something which I was, I've always been really passionate about. So it was an area that I know pretty well from personal experience, not from a um, sort of a medical point of view, but from more like an emotional and uh, point of view and one where I can understand. So it was something where it's an area of storytelling, which I've always found fascinating. Those sort of human interest stories are the ones which I just love telling and love telling stories about incredible um, athletes. But uh, yeah, it's, it's an area which I've long been sort of an advocate for people being able to talk openly about. And I've been lucky that a few people have been happy to talk about it. There are others, you know, who I'm sure deal with mental health in sort of every single day of their life, every single hour of their life. But it's um, an area which hopefully we're starting to become a lot better at talking about. And as um, I'm sure we'll talk about, I spoke to Joe Bryan at Fulham and his message was talking is so key and it really does help once you start talking to someone else about how you're feeling. So when it comes to storytelling, um, I mean, uh, of course, mental health and, and some of these personal stories can be very delicate and uh, I mean, you have to be careful how you how you approach it, how you write about it. Uh, still, readers should be interested in reading about it, but it shouldn't be too... Uh, too entertaining in a way. I mean, because then you don't don't take it too serious or not seriously enough. Uh, so, how do you approach writing about it when it comes to storytelling? Or what's your general approach? What's your thinking behind it? How how do you make sure that you you write in the in the right way? I guess it, it depends on who you're talking to, and it's you you end up in those sort of sort of instances just. You want to tell it in their voice. It's their story. It's a very personal thing. So it all has to be geared towards their experiences, the story they've got, and trying to tell that. I mean, sometimes it's the easiest 
job in the world because they're so open and so um, give you such a sort of insight into how they're feeling that you can just let the quotes run. And I think sometimes that's the most sort of powerful way to be honest. So I don't I don't think there's necessarily a a one size fits all approach. Um, I think it's more down to the subjects and and how they you know how they speak and the story they've got. Like one of the things I wanted to ask you is is how do we sort of define like this mental health? Like what falls under this umbrella term in terms of sports, right? Because like I think um growing up as as a sports fan and and then and, and you're doing this professionally, like there's always these stories, right? And you you hear stories about you know different players, whether they are idols or like for example, Gerd Miller in Germany, right? Who had this this long-standing struggle with alcoholism. And I think what's interesting is as as you grow up, at least for me, like the the way we view those things as you mature are, are, are very different. And I think the way we talk about them is very different, right? Like, and so that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is would you, for example, classify that like a, an alcoholism under under mental health or would that be more something? I'm, I'm honestly not sure. I guess it's, uh, I wouldn't really know on that one exactly how to uh, sort of, um, I guess, you know, find an exact sort of definition of it, but it's more mental health is very personal. So something like alcoholism um, is a condition where I guess you're addicted, aren't you? So whether that comes in, I'm not sure, but I guess it's just a sort of an umbrella term uh, covering these things because you know that when players retire from football, a huge number of them go through, um, you know, they lose money, you know they have that they're trying to fill this void um in their lives trying to fill the routine which they had and the, the thrill and the thrill of playing in front of the fans and suddenly that's that's gone so again it's personal i wouldn't know whether you know how to exactly define it i just know that there are it, it kind of brings in the importance i guess of being open but maybe like to, to kind of rephrase that or reframe this question is, is like, like I think the ESPN was actually really good at um, they had this documentary like I think it might have been like a 30 for 30 about about broke which is which is how you know the NFL players who you know who, who lost their money and how they subsequently battled a lot of these things depression and, and I think a lot of times like alcoholism will obviously go hand in hand with, with some of those things but like uh, that that's what I wanted to ask you is was there sort of a moment for you when you um thought about talking about it differently or covering it differently or because because I don't know like I'm trying to I'm trying to pinpoint a moment in 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 sports culture where where we like started talking about it because I mean maybe in in Germany it's Robert Enke who who like there are all these landmark cases right and I'm trying I'm trying to think of, of of what it is I mean maybe what was it for you that sort of said um okay like I should contribute to this it's probably when I read the Robert Enker book, to be honest, um, which was like heartbreaking and in its own way, sort of inspirational in its, you know, in its own right. But the story was written. I mean, the story of Robert Enker's tragic, but then you you see the the stoicism and the um, the way that uh, his wife and um, the foundation came from there, and the amazing work that they do as well. So reading that story was a pretty profound moment I think for me um it was yeah it's just beyond sort of you can't really contemplate what those closest to him must have been going through let alone what he would have been so I think that story really did 
start the conversation, I think, within football around mental health. And um, and then you hear, and then people start to speak more. So, I mean, recently we've had, like a couple of years ago, Buffon, one of the greatest ever goalkeepers, was talking about how he missed a match due to a panic attack. And I think these sort of stories suddenly make mental health perhaps more relatable to people who might be experiencing certain feelings or, you know, confused about the way they're feeling and suddenly you hear, hey, Buffon, he had this panic attack, he missed a game. And then there are other people talking about it recently, like Gregory van der Veel, the Dutch player, or we've got Jordan Ibe here in the UK as well, who's been very open about depression. And people like Joe Bryan as well, who's talking about anxiety and panic attacks. And it's, I think though, for me personally, it was reading about Robert Enker and then finding that, say, you know, that, that, that how he described or how the author described Robert Enker's depression. And then it was something where I was like, right, I think it kind of fueled a bit of a fire in me to hopefully help make a little bit of a difference. I think, uh, and, and that's something I think Abel was also getting at, is, is that there was um, still a time because sports and, and uh, professional sports is so in the public eye. And there's, I think there is, an, and to an extent, there is a degree of st stage fright and, and just general anxiety, which you usually have. And maybe to, to a small extent, you should probably have if you are performing in front of people that at least you are kind of nervous and and I think that's normal uh, for everyone that's that's an entertainer or that's just in front of a lot of people performing anything be it sports be it show business or whatever um, as, so I, th I think there was also the uh, the thinking often that ah, I mean they are just you know they are just over, overly excited uh, or there's over anxiety in a way but it's not really a mental health issue um, do, do you have you spoken to people who said uh, who explained maybe where the boundary is basically where maybe something like being down after a loss or being overly uh, anxious um is maybe behind the person and then really the uh, really a uh, real mental health issue starts um because i think there is there are some blurry lines there yeah and i i mean what are you asking about whether say performance anxiety is a sign of symptomatic of a, a wider issue like again You'd have to you'd have to speak to the individuals, I think, in that case, because I mean, the pressure these guys are under is something which I imagine that most of us can't really completely relate to, and that feeling of. But it's it's part of, for example, you know, that feeling of playing in front of hundreds of thousands of fans is something which they get adjusted to. And for the youngsters you speak to, they're terrified the first time they run out of the stadium. Then you become more accustomed to it and the noise and everything. But it's, I imagine from the stories which are coming out, it's more uh, people talking about the moments away from them, in like the quiet moments in their hotels when they're away from the family and they're bored or they're overthinking, they're going down rabbit holes and emotions. And it's those sort of stories which are now coming out a little bit more, which perhaps that we can, as us mere mortals, can relate to a little bit more rather than the sort of the pressure of playing in front of, I don't know, uh, a packed Old Trafford or whatever, which I would find completely terrifying. Yeah, I mean, like what I always wonder about in these cases, right, is that um, there is the natural glorification of athletes, right? And, and identification with them and treating them as heroes, right? And I think yeah, like these sort of stories of, like I think Wayne Rooney um, talking about his, his gambling uh, 
addiction early in his career when he would um, sit in hotel rooms and and discover that you can bet online and and um, you know just have these huge 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 wagers on on, on matches it, it it makes them like I think it makes them more relatable right because it makes them like like you know like you or me or anybody who's watching them but I, I think part of this the issue at least and and you can I don't know if people agree with me or this or not. It'd be interesting, but like some people don't want to have that narrative, right? Like they want to have that glory, the, the glorious hero concept. And, and sometimes it doesn't fit the picture. So I'm wondering like where you stand on this, right? Because I think maybe the, the concept of our, of our athletes and heroes uh, changes with, with how we get mental health into that picture. I see what you mean. I guess there would be some people who wouldn't want to admit that perhaps they are fallible, but it's it's more down to um, personal perspective. I think that I'd like to think that we're getting to the stage now where if someone um, spoke openly about uh, whoever it is, spoke openly about struggles they'd have in their private lives with this sort of thing, that it wouldn't in any way diminish how we see them. I mean, you'd like to think that if anything, for me, my heroes in sport are the people who've overcome um, adversity to get to where they are because they're inspiring figures. And it's, you know, those stories are absolutely incredible. Um, but I think it's, uh, I, I guess it, that sort of thing comes down to identity as well, because you've got these young guys, especially in academies, who for so long, up to the age of 16, have been Constantine the footballer. And then when suddenly they're told you're not good enough to make the cut into the first team. They completely lose this bit, the footballer, and now they're they're Constantine. And suddenly you're like, well, exactly who am I? And then from there, that can sometimes unravel. And it's it's those sort of things, this identity, I think it's really interesting. And I think we're slowly getting to a point now, well, not slowly, we are getting to a point where you are hearing footballers talking more openly now about the fact that they're not defined by football. Joe said this to me when I interviewed him at ESPN last week, was that he... Joe Bryan is someone who has so many interests outside of football. Um, he's, a, he's a fantastic bloke, really, really interesting guy, great company, re- like reads an incredible amount of books, fascinating on so many different subjects. And he's not Joe Bryan, the footballer. It just so happens that he's really, really bloody good at football, but he's not, his identity is not defined by his ability on the pitch. So I think we're getting to a better awareness of this now, and especially during the last year, you know, with COVID and the mental toll which this has taken on players on the fields, some of the players are mentally exhausted. And it's you hear the coaches talking about it, the players themselves probably haven't been as open. But it's the coaches who, who can see that mental fatigue has become a really big thing. And it's, you know, perhaps circumstance, perhaps more people speaking openly about it, but I think there's a greater appreciation now for the fact that we are, footballers aren't perfect. Footballers aren't um, sort of, we hold them up as these gods, but Again, that's all subjective on who you are and who your heroes are, I think, as well. So when you're... I mean, what I want to ask is, because when you're bringing up um, that academy players, for instance, are, are struggling, if especially if they are told they are not good enough or they are basically not succeeding at what they wanted to achieve, getting to the first team, getting to the Premier League, Bundesliga, what, what have you. Um, and even for experienced players, even for senior players who are maybe going down a rabbit hole for, for some reason, I mean, it doesn't really matter what the reason is, but but they are going down and they are struggling with mental health. 
are there already institutions in place um, established by the clubs, by the associations anywhere? Is there is there something in place where they can go to, even anonymous, or is it still kind of they are out there on their own and they have to deal with with the struggle themselves and and know what, I mean maybe some individuals are helping them or are there any institutions already in place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the clubs are great over here now. It's certainly something where they have full-time psychologists working with it, and it's the same throughout sports. So I I spend a lot of my time also reporting about rugby and, you know, clubs bring in psychologists to work with the players. Um, there are places, you know, there's the Sporting Chance Clinic, which was established by Tony Adams, which I know um, has helped people in the past and, you know, the Priory as well. But I think there's certainly... I'd like to think, I mean, I'm not a footballer, so I wouldn't know, but I'd like to think there are a number of options available. I mean, with Joe, it took um, the club uh, physio to notice that he just wasn't himself at all. And he was getting down and he was overthinking and he, she could sense that something wasn't quite right with him. So she directed him to chat to someone and he did. But I think the hardest thing about it is, it is hard to, when you are in the grips of, say, I don't know, depression or anxiety, it's hard to admit that you're struggling sometimes. And the last thing you want to do is chat to a complete stranger and say, hey, I'm feeling shit, let's have a chat. Because it goes against absolutely everything you're feeling in that moment. But you just, I think the idea of talk, talking as much as possible is so therapeutic. And it's, you know, it's, um, I know there might be a bit of a stigma around, say, medication still, but equally, if your hand was going to drop off at the start of the day, you take a pill, right? to prevent your hand from dropping off and it's the same with mental health if your brain the levels aren't right then there are um you know you chat to someone and then they can help so i'd like to think that there are definitely um a number of options available and i think the clubs here from what i've learned from what i've seen are certainly uh this is definitely on their radar especially after this season which has been like none, none other where you're in bubbles you haven't got the same sort of freedoms you've had before. Um, families are affected. There's a lot of concern, a lot of nervousness um, around their loved ones and people you can't see, etc. So um, I'd like to think definitely there are places and people available. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really interesting because like this whole, I'm glad you brought up the, the pandemic aspect of this because that's that's the part where I feel like I maybe I haven't read enough on on this in terms of, reporting on the mental health of the players because it seems like nobody is interested in that right like like that was the, the one takeaway from the super league is that you know the, the the commodification of players and like where they weren't really asked what they thought about this thing which which you know impacts their future it's their job and similarly you know i, I think it was john, john harding um wrote a piece for dw about um about mental health and mental well-being and and you know he's he's always talking a lot about how much of this on the club side is performance improving performance versus the the well-being of the player right and 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 i'm wondering like where you where you stand or what examples you have seen of this because i i think that there's there's obviously the incentive for for clubs to improve the player's performance um, whether that same incentive exists to care about their well-being, it's, it's less obvious to me. It's a great question, and I don't know. Um, I think it's probably down to the club, I mean, and the, the way they operate. I'd like to think that... I, I was chatting to a rugby player 
in a different sport last week and he was saying he still hasn't yet heard within his club of anyone saying that um, they just felt like their mental health was crap and they just couldn't play. If they're, if they're injured, then it's a clear thing, right? And they're pressured to play, but he doesn't feel yet that we got to the stage whereby this was in rugby and I don't know if it's the same in football. I haven't yet looked into this where someone would openly say to the coach, you know what? I just can't do it today. But I guess those sort of things are still very confidential. Um, but you do hear of players taking time out um, from the game, but it's not normally well publicised exactly why. And you have to be very respectful of this. But I honestly wouldn't know on that front. I think it's probably perhaps that's the next stage of our understanding. And it, I was chatting to um, Ralph Ragnick about this a couple of months ago, and he was saying that the next stage he feels of development when it comes to players is on the cognitive side of things, where you're looking at the brain. And I imagine things like exhaustion and mental fatigue would come into that as well. Um, but that's probably like the next sort of frontier of player development. And um, we've had things like, for example, there are coaches, uh, there are teams that bring in eye coaches to focus on your eyes and how you can do a spatial awareness and reflexes and things like this. Okay. So that's all connected with the brain and uh, nerve endings and things like this. So you'd like to think that they'll start to be looking at um, mental, you know, the mental side of things. And I think sleep studies are going to play a huge part in this and recovery and the importance of sleep. I know that some clubs are using this thing called an aura ring, which monitors how players sleep. And they find, for example, if they play Call of Duty until half 11 in the evening, then they don't sleep very well. But if they stop playing Call of Duty, no. If they stop playing Call of Duty at, say, 10 o'clock and you read for an hour, then you will sleep better and you therefore you recover better and the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, you know, these sort of studies as well. So I guess that's sort of the next frontier, the next sort of step, I think, is really understanding the mental side of how to increase someone's performance on the mental side as related purely to physical. Um, yeah, just just in terms of you know following up on this as as, as I, I mean you're probably right in the sense that they're like these conversations might are not being had or, or people are not thinking about it in, in in clubs because they're probably focused on other things. But um I think Arsene Wenger has talked about the cognitive side as well and you know it's no surprise to hear I finally talk about this as well. But what I'm wondering about is is, is uh, whether we're having the same thing with coaches um, because, you know, co- coaches' mental health. I think recently it was Jurgen Klopp's uh, mother passing was uh, was obviously uh, uh, talking about his, his grief or uh, the new um, Leverkusen coach who is um, Gerardo Salane from, from um, Young Boys. He was talking about how he, he could barely sleep um, after after some losses, and I don't I don't think I've ever really heard coaches talk about mental health so much, right? Like we we somehow don't think of them, and maybe that's another maybe another that's another frontier. I don't know if you've had experiences with within your career in terms of the interviews with coaches. Have they talked about I, that? I've or, tried. I feel I like that's not something they would. It, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but it, it's an area where I've spoken to a couple who didn't want to be who didn't want to go on the record about it because they were worried that a club would see this and perceive them to be mentally weak. And um, you, and that's, I guess, the next... Yeah, and it, they just... I guess they were worried about perception and um, appearing to be anything less than 100% or perhaps vulnerable or any of these sort of, you know, these common tropes which are perhaps associated with these lazy tropes are associated with mental health. So, right. so you're not I a workaholic, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, 
I think it's fascinating to hear Jurgen Klopp talking about grief and the impact that, that had on him. Um, but I think from a mental health point of view, coaches, I just find fascinating because whereas, I mean, they, they really just don't switch off. They're exhausted. And you see people, you see some coaches who sort of thrive off that pressure and they really relish it. Uh, they, sorry, they really relish it. Uh, they did a piece last year about what it's like to get sacked and the process they go through when they're unemployed and what they get up to. And some are very good at it and some aren't. And, you know, it's, um, you know, it's like the guy, I don't know if you ever watched The Office with Ricky Gervais, but when he gets sacked, he's still coming back in the whole time, right? And I guess the, these coaches must have the same sort of feeling where they're, they're, it's their club, they don't really know what to do themselves. But I think mental health and in football management and in coaching really is, it's so fascinating. But um, I like to think that that's an area where, where people will start being more open. I mean, Ralf Rangnick was also one who, who talked about his his struggles and and basically he he quit the business in a, in a way for for at least a short period of time because he was he was uh, burned out or he he had a burnout and and he was also talking about at the time about his unhealthy behavior or unhealthy lifestyle he had because he came in late at home then then he after after ten or eleven he ate some sugar sugary stuff and and didn't get any sleep and was still as because especially someone like him who's always like talking and doing stuff and is always always thinking about uh, a thousand things at a time and then he didn't really eat healthy and and it's just you know it came together a lot of different things came together and he was he was yeah he was you couldn't do it anymore he couldn't he couldn't go to his job basically anymore um but i think and, and i wanted to get tom your your take on that and maybe even abel because i just a hypothesis but And sometimes when you think when you think about it, uh, there are there are coaches who might not want to reveal that they are mentally struggling. There are there might be players who don't want to reveal that they are mentally struggling, especially if they feel themselves in leadership position, for instance, or if they are on the verge of getting to a to a starting eleven uh, spot or something like that. You know, when they are really when they are feeling they have to perform right now, that can't be their big break. Um, and and they are fearing that the club would uh, see them as mentally weak and, and unreliable. Uh, I sometimes feel like the wider public is much more understanding and uh, when it comes to mental health struggle than some of the like really inner uh, inner parts of football or inner parts of professional sports. Uh, I mean, you you brought up rugby. I think it might be it might be the same or even worse. I don't know. But is it maybe even that the wider public is much more understanding that some folks that are actually in football? Yeah, I I, I think that's hard because I think one of the big sort of from talking to people at the moment, one of the big triggers for triggering anxiety in players is, is social media, right? And it's just, it can be so toxic. And that that sort of faceless um, abuse which players get and this sort of thing, I mean, it, I guess it completely depends on who you talk to. I'd like to think that everyone, hopefully society is becoming a lot more understanding now and a lot more um, educated and uh appreciative of people being open about mental health perhaps they might be experiencing something similar but they just didn't really realize it or perhaps didn't want to talk about it but um i think it's the same with high performance there was um you know if you look through high performance i don't really know exactly what's going on in the states regarding mental health but i'd like to think hopefully we're getting to a point whereby that wouldn't necessarily be held against someone in fact you know that being brave and talking openly would hopefully be seen as a positive trait and more of a reason to employ someone. 
Yeah, I mean, to answer your question, Constantine, I, I, I always struggle with this sort of like wider public's conception and 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 in, in inside because they're they're so hard because I feel like everyone is in a little bit of a bubble, like you know themselves. So like what you see, like for example, I see on Twitter just to connect it to social media. I see both the side of it's a lot more accepted to talk about these kind of issues like mental health. But then there's also like just the amplified abuse of of the the, the the horrible side of social media that you know you could choose to ignore. But I mean, I, I'm sure like we, I'm sure each of you have we've all gotten those kind of messages, and, and we're you know we're mostly just covering these answers. We're, we're not we're not uh, high performing athletes, but you still I mean at least at least I, you, you still get the occasional like mean mean things uh, written about you or, or to you. And I mean there was a campaign right recently with, with Jordan Henderson, and then obviously in Germany as well the stopping sort of the online abuse and then obviously the the, the blackout uh, social media was it maybe about a couple of weeks ago um do you think those campaigns are effective in that sense like to 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 maybe improve things uh, tom like where where do you stand on this or would you do sort of something similar to to or what would you do to kind of you know improve things if you could I don't know really i think I'm with the view personally that social media should have more accountability um, when it comes to in individuals logging their thoughts. Um, I'm all for positive action. And um, I, I guess the true effectiveness of these sort of movements will be something where we'll see in, in time, really. But um, Jordan Henderson, I know, has been a wonderful advocate for um, helping stop the abuse uh, players receive and individuals receive and those sort of messages hopefully will be cutting through and causing people to think twice before they send something abusive or whatever yeah i think it's really hot uh, hard to judge and also i mean you got social media today which can be really amplifying kind of the uh the abuse and just the outrage you you receive from from fans be it from your own club be it from from opposing teams um i mean it's not it's, it's not necessarily new in football or in, in any sports because when you when you read stories uh, from you know from the old times even uh, like it was always the way that when you went to an away match for instance you got abused uh, in a way that was I mean that was far from anything acceptable uh, but in the football stadium or in a I don't know in an arena in a sports arena it, it might be something else um, the, the abuse and, and kind of the insults and, and uh, the length some fans went to uh, to actually insult people was uh, kind of outstanding and um but i think the, the difference is um and maybe that's that's something to as a, as a part conclusion is that maybe the difference uh, from today to i don't know the 70s or something is that um back in the day people or players had to deal with the same kind of abuse maybe not through social media but still in stadiums or when they arrived with the bus at the stadium or something like that uh, where it wasn't as protected as it is today um but uh, they might not uh, wanted to accept that they had uh, a mental health struggle or something because it was so unacceptable even in a wider society to mentally struggle or a lot of people even didn't knew about what mental mental health might be or mental mentally struggling might be. Um, so I think there's actually at least something improving in a way that that are um, more people are much more informed about it and and much more understanding that there is actually something that can affect people quite heavily, uh, be it in your family, be it on a sports field, be it anywhere at your workplace or so. So I think that's that's at least an improvement, although I, I don't I don't think we are quite there 
yet where, where it comes to when it comes to acceptance and just you know dealing with these things appropriately fully yeah i agree and i think it's going to take time but it's the sort of the courage and the openness of those guys who have been talking about it who who talk about their struggles with mental health which will hopefully change any perceptions or prevent um or prevent uh sort of uh, stop taboos and break through the taboo of talking about mental health and the more that people talk openly about it hopefully the more society as a whole accepts um you know that people do struggle with mental health and it becomes you know something which we all can talk about openly rather than um perhaps feel a little reluctant to before we uh, let you leave tom um just because you you talked about that you have re been reporting on mental health uh, issues and and uh, interviewed players and coaches and so on um can you name maybe one or two stories you can recommend to the listeners uh, you've you've written that maybe were the most gut-wrenching or maybe something where you say that I would recommend to read that one, that piece or th these two pieces uh, because, you know, just, just people have to read it because of the story? Uh, that's a great question. I think oh, I'd start definitely by reading the Robert Enker book, um, Alive Too Short, which was, it was just beautifully written and it's extremely profound. Um, I think that's probably a good starting place. I'm trying to have a think now. I know that we've done a lot of great work at ESPN around the issue. We've got on the website at the moment, there's a, a sort of a, land, a landing page with all the coverage we've had from the last month or so from around the business, from different sports. And there are tales there from people talking about mental health and uh, their experiences and their battles, but uh, they're all incredibly inspiring. So I think there's, that's a really good spot to have a look there. Um, yeah i think it's just more just be curious go out there and have a have a look read about it um understand and see if you can relate to it so if not just talk talk ask ask your friends how are you today this sort of thing i know it sounds a little bit sort of cheesy or whatever but it's so important especially in the pandemic when we've spent so long isolated just just keep on talking yeah i if if uh, the listeners want to get a hold of the robert anchor book it's uh, written by ronald Wang. i just just uh type in uh, Robert Anker uh, on, on Google or, or on Amazon or some some, some other uh, book or go to your local bookstore and, and order it there uh, to help them out, uh, whatever you want to do. And we will also link to the to the ESPN landing page on our show notes so that, that people can find that uh, immediately from there and, and read more about uh, what you have done and what other people at ESPN have done. So um, Tom, thank you for your time. It was great talking to you. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. Very kind of you. So Tom is at Tom Hamilton ESPN on Twitter. Abel is at BundesPL on Twitter and I am CC underscore Ekner on Twitter. If you want to support us, please visit patreon.com slash thefootballpod. And for now, we are out.